0: Hello and welcome to Randomer Nintendo 20. I am Jason and I said the name correctly this time, unlike last time. And on my virtual left and virtual right, we have Angel and Kevin. Uh, You guys tell me, what side of me are you standing on or sitting on or laying on today? In front at a 45 Mm. degree angle above you. Interesting. Are you hovering?
1: Yeah, it's like, an, it's like a platform that's just kind of tilted down towards you at a 45-degree oh, like angle.
0: A, I see. I see. Like yeah. one of Rihanna's stages from the Super Bowl halftime show. You Pretty are much. Rihanna is is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. What about, what about you, Kevin? Where are you in, in the world? I think I am
2: in some other dimension and there's like a portal that opens up every now and then. So I can see, I can peek into what's going on in, the, in your dimension.
0: Man, are we is this the moment that random or Nintendo jumps into the multiverse and follows every other media property into the multiverse? Is this happening? You know what? Maybe Have we got a I full mean, multiverse? I uh, uh
1: the
2: multiverse is coming out soon. I mean,
1: that's something we'd be excited about for a lot of
2: people. I uh I saw Quota Media uh yesterday. I didn't hate it. I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it as a lot of people. <laughs> it's not bad. No so people it, 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 Is Modak
0: as bad as people say So no, he's No his, he, they made an interesting CG choice with his face, like they literally just stretched the guy's face. Yeah, but to fit like a he also CG has a model. mask that looks really cool. So, yeah. Well, let, let's let's get into that. Actually, we haven't talked about Marvel movies in a while. We've talked about a lot of other things. We haven't talked about Marvel movies. So, what what is your take on Quantum Man? It's not as bad as people say, but it's not good. That, yeah, I mean that's pretty bit. much all
2: I have to say about it. It's very forgettable. Well, like, that's a great. I've never hot even watched thing.
0: that movie yet. <laughs> it um. How familiar are you with Tron, Kevin, with Tron Legacy in particular? I have seen Tron Legacy, yeah. It's the same plot. Oh, wow. Almost exactly. Yeah. Replace going into the Quantum Realm with going into the grid in a computer and replace the little Quantum Realm people with, uh, you know, the avatars in uh, Tron. There you go. Same basic plot. Yeah. Yeah. I will say it's a very weird way to introduce a big new bad to the entire MCU was through that movie. Yeah. Where he gets say, defeated by Ant Man. In the, the Ant Man movie, of all things, yeah. It, it definitely yeah. Felt And what's out of technically place
1: he also, I mean, I know technically not him, but isn't he Remains also technically him? And he was like already killed? Spoiler alert, I guess.
0: You talk about Kang?
1: No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, Kang, Kang, Kang.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know low-key. what... Essentially, it sounds he like... He was in Loki. Different one of him was in Loki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. but I mean,
1: essentially, it sounds like they introduced a big bad twice and, quote-unquote, he died twice already. So it's like...
0: And then they did... You know what? We're going to go full spoiler three minutes into the podcast. The post-credit scene of Ant-Man Quantum Mania. They made Kang, the most cartoony, whatever you all call him, like, it had such an opposite effect of Thanos. I don't know. Like, Thanos was never, like... Like I didn't leave Iron Man 1 or whatever and be like – whatever. When mm. dance popped he was up, just like, mysterious. Oh my god, so scary. But like Kang was like – they went comedic with him very quickly and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Mm. I felt like Guardians 3 had a better bad guy than Kang personally. Yes. Yeah. Who here – show of hands in a space where we can't see each other. Who here has seen Guardians 3? I know I have. I know you have, Kevin. Angel, have you? Eventually. Do you care to watch Guardians Three? Wait,
2: what? Do you care to watch Guardians Three?
1: Um, not in a timely fashion.
2: Probably in a,
1: the <laughs> amount of time it took me to watch Guardians Two, which was a couple of years
0: after Guardians Two came out. So, if we theaters. talk about it at any depth here, I know and for I, listeners I, out I, there. I, I, this I segment. If you have, I seen know it.
1: everything that happens. I watch oh, kind of okay. like a so let, let's like a detailed play-by-play.
2: Right? Play. So it's almost like I've seen it. What do you think of it, Kevin? <laughs> uh, I really, 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 really liked
0: it. I don't know if I loved Me too. it, but I really, really liked it. Are we in agreement that's better than Guardians 2? No. Whoa. You're the first person I've talked to that feels not that way. Because I love Guardians 2. I thought it was better than 2. Wait, well, I thought uh, Guardians see, 2 was supposed like a low point. Yeah. I don't care what anybody that's says. I, I love Guardians 2. Yeah, I mean, that that's the beauty of an opinion. Yeah. Um,. Did you feel the animal stuff in Guardians 3 was a little superfluous? A lot of people feel that way, and it's actually stopping some people from seeing the movie, like the degree of what they showed.
2: I don't know if it's superfluous, but
0: it was fine, I guess. It didn't bother me. Yeah, like it – yeah, it didn't bother me personally too much, but I thought – you know it was interesting? I was having lunch with someone today, and they were like – Yeah, like the movie – like Guardians is such a fun franchise and it's so, like, breezy and there's some serious stuff but it's very, like, lighthearted. And then they had, like, all these, like, mechanically enhanced animals and stuff, which I thought, you know, it made the point of Rocket being experimented on and whatnot. But they really showed it. Like they showed straight up, like, animals getting killed directly in front of your face on the screen. It was like, oh, okay. It feels weird to talk
1: about uh, a movie – from someone's perspective because you know I've only seen clips and recaps sort of but it sounds like I mean you kind of do get why Rocket at least in, like in the first two movies like he really breaks down whenever he talks about like you know I can I, like, I never forget um, I don't remember if it was part one or part two but he basically is yelling out like oh they tore me apart and put me back together and tore me apart and yeah. I remember thinking like oh man like it sounds like he has a really dark backstory whenever we we're going to see that and it kind of felt like they delivered, just based on some impressions that uh, from other friends. It's like, damn, like it got dark.
0: Like, it what? got dark. It got sad. It got like emotional. There were times I was like, because I was with one of our friends, and there's times I was like, oh, I can't let him see me cry. Like it was like, it was sad. It had, you know, it it really hit a lot of emotional beats. It was, in many ways, James Gunn send off to the MCU as a whole because he's now off doing DC, but. Yeah, it it really like there's some really good character development. There, were, it was it was good. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, but yeah, so is it this got in sad. a way like it gritty. It got yeah.
1: So hmm. I mean, maybe it's not, but I mean, does it feel like it was more Rocket's movie than anyone else's, or did it still uh, no, feel kind they, of uh, even uh, or
0: or still Star Lord because you know he's kind it, of the main character, I guess. Yeah, they did – they did a series of flashbacks about Rocket throughout the movie, and they would intersperse those stuff with other characters. It had a lot of closure for a lot of characters. Um, I think Rocket probably was the, the focus, but, like, he wasn't – it wasn't only a Rocket movie. Rocket just – his backstory was kind of the thread through the whole thing, but they definitely, you know, gave growth and closure to to a lot of the crew, I'd say. Right, Kevin? Like, kind of, cool. it feels like everyone got, like, some moments. Right? Yeah,
2: every, everybody definitely got their moment, Um yeah quick spoilers there is a uh not sleep till brooklyn needle drop yes, yes. that is, that <laughs> that is, is the one from the mario movie
0: good. yes yes the the hit song from the mario movie and not the beastie boys but the mario movie yes
2: it's probably the best one of the best scenes of the mcu in my opinion
0: uh, oh, it's so well shot. Yeah. I knew we were gonna end up I knew we were gonna talk about that. When I was watching like Kevin and I are gonna have a conversation about this. They shoot it like it's one continuous scene, like one continuous movement. I think they do break it up, but it's so slick. Yeah, the, the only thing they have to know the is the cleanest it's, it's, action they've ever done. Yeah. Uh
2: yeah, I that, that seems fantastic. I, I can't wait to like rewatch watch that on video or like at home and just like dissect like, oh, exactly the movements that were going on there.
0: Uh, yeah, and like how they stitched it together so it looks so seamless. Because there's a few shots where it like goes around a person or behind a person like, ah, that's where they could have spliced it. But yeah, no, it's really well done. How did you feel about the soundtrack of this movie? I was fine with it. I haven't been <laughs> – to be honest, I haven't been quite as enamored with the musical parts of Guardians of other people. Like I like the music and I'm like, oh, it fits well and whatever, but I haven't been as like – Hasn't been as crucial to, to the movies for me as I know it is for most fans of the movies. Um, I do really like, and we're full on spoilers now. I do really like uh, the final song they chose, "The Dog Days Are Over," and how they kind of like signified, "Oh, we're in a new generation of the oh, Koreans sure. by like switching the decade and and I thought that that whole scene was really well done to that song, and the "No Sleep Till Brooklyn" neo drop was really good. But the rest, of that, you know, I was like, okay, sure, okay, <laughs> like nothing jumped out me. What do you think? Well, something I do want to know from both of you. Wait, so what how... about you, Kevin? What did you What did you think of the soundtrack this time?
2: Uh, yeah, I, it was fun. I guess. Uh, it was really funny because we went. B and Elvis went after. Uh, what day was it?
0: You guys went on um the second Sunday? day. So of Sunday, our,
2: yeah. yeah the sorry, sorry what trip. Uh. And Radiohead's Creep was playing in the Uber driver's car. And sure enough, the movie starts with Creep.
0: It was really... Oh, easy. yeah. I thought that was good, too, actually. The use of Creep. Yeah. Creep and Dog Days Are Over were, like, the two highlights. Yeah. And No Sleep to Brooklyn. Okay, so it was good. The music was good, I guess. It's like I'm saying, like, three out of, like, six songs. So I guess I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Were we going to um, ask something now, Angel?
1: Yeah. the I've been really curious to know your thoughts or just, like, in general... So, who is this Adam Warlock, and does he draw you a card every turn that you have more power on that <laughs> lane?
0: I see what you did there. That was a reference to Snap. Um, do you, like, he was kind of underutilized. He
2: was. He's. Movie. He's. He's not at all like how he is in the comics. He, Adam Warlock uh, plays a pivotal yeah. role in the uh, Infinity Gauntlet saga in the comics. So, uh, what Infinity War and, and Game were like sort of based off of.
1: He's sort of like a mastermind character. Scene
2: in, oh, I
1: see. And in here, well, he, and
2: he's played as like a, not not like a young child, but like a very naive, I guess, like teenager. Th-
0: yeah, and his mom's involved and like, yeah. Huh. he. I couldn't shake the entire movie being like, oh, that kid was in Maze Runner. I don't know why. But every time he came on screen, I'm like, oh, the kid from Maze Runner. Like, who references Maze Runner in their day-to-day life except me, apparently? <laughs> so you're saying it's a benefit that I haven't seen Maze Runner? <laughs> yes, very much so, because you'll go, oh, look, it's Warlock, and I'm going, oh, look, it's the kid from Maze Runner. <laughs> so, Will Poulter oh. or something like that, I think is his name. Hmm. But Do they at least Not the that main potential? kid either. He's I a mean, side kid. He's not even the main kid. He's a second-tier kid in Maze Runner. But anyway. Well, I
1: mean, I'm guessing he's someone they're going to keep around for future movies. Yeah, so. they
0: definitely – it's interesting. They sort of end it – man, we're really in spoilers. They sort of end it with like here's the next generation of the Guardians. By the way, they may not be back. Meanwhile, star Lords confirmed to be back in some capacity. So who knows? And what about Bojack Land? That's the only – that's the last question I have. That – Was that just like a gag or – Was exactly what crossed my mind too was this is live-action Bojack. Yeah. Um it wasn't a gag. It had some relevance. I mean, the visuals of it maybe were kind of a gag, but it had some relevance to the overall plot of what the bad guy was trying to achieve. Um, I mean, how do you feel about it, Kevin? Because it was definitely visually, um, something. <laughs> what, the, uh, counter Earth? The,
2: yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, it looked a lot like Earth were just anthropomorphic
0: animals. Yeah, it was Bojack. Yeah. Um, Fun fact about the movie, the most prosthetics used in any movie ever was in Guardians 3. Yeah,
2: although most of those anthropomorphic animals were, uh, were really well done to that in Cut Earth.
0: With the exception of, yeah. like, the
2: clearly CGI ones, it's, like, the war pig and there's that other one there.
0: Yeah, it's funny how obvious it was that the prosthetic was the better choice with so many of those. I mean, the war pig, it had a different body shape, so it kind of had to be. But, like, the rest, it was... I was surprised as I was watching it, how much I was like, wow, the prosthetic game is strong, and the CG game is very, look at the prosthetic game being stronger. <laughs> you know, like it's very much like, here's a better over here and a lesser over there. But it wasn't that. Yeah, it's almost but like yeah. the
1: prosthetics allow for a better suspension of disbelief. But
0: yeah, almost. I mean,
1: yeah. I guess it's more humane for the actors, obviously, you know, that this, at least, humane. <laughs> that positive. I mean, the people wearing the turtle suits, as much as I love them, like, they were pretty much dying of like heat stroke, like, every scene. So, was it worth it? Ooh, better not ask me that,
0: but you know, um, it sounds like you asked yourself, so tell us, was it worth it? Better not ask me that, but you know i
1: just well did. sacrifices were made,
0: <laughs> okay, okay.
1: It's never worth heat stroke, but i am I am thankful they endured it because it was amazing, and I wouldn't ask them to do it again.
0: Yeah, Hopefully. I definitely put you in a weird spot to be like, is it worth people suffering for your enjoyment? And you kind of didn't say no. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, um, they, they did it already. So bless them, but yeah.
0: <laughs> bless their hearts. Um, I will say, to be fair, the CG, I was being a little hard on some of the CG, like Warpig, the animals in Rockets flashback and the other raccoons and stuff had amazing CG, I thought. Like it looked – I mean some of the animals yeah, were a little less, really- but the raccoons in particular were top-notch. Yeah. But yeah, so, that's gar- I guess an un- impromptu Guardians discussion. Um, you know, we did mention in the middle of that that uh, we were in Disney World. And we was actually both Kevin and myself. Angel, you didn't go. But we yeah, did. I had
1: other things going on, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, what were you before we even get to what we did at Disney World? What were you up to while we were away? Anything cool? I mean, I guess the the main
1: thing I did, I guess you could say, was a Yoshiki concert I went to at the Grammy Museum, which was really cool. And for those that don't know, I did talk about the, I guess that artist back in February when I went to go watch the Last Rock which is when um, Red Swan came up, the song that I had mentioned that I really liked from the third season of Attack on Titan. And basically, it was just that artist because he's a renowned like concert pianist and like rock drum, and drum assembly like, composer. And he basically did an interview. They had like a sizzle reel. And then he played a couple of songs on piano with a quartet and a singer. And he did like an orchestral version of red swan and a bunch of other songs that i also really like and it was it was quite magical it was pretty amazing to see him play so close up close and personal on this like crystal piano that is like completely see-through and damn i mean yeah i i remember jason had told me that the Grammy museum is it's small like 300 people isn't a lot of people and you know it might be even
0: smaller to be honest yeah
1: but yeah that was pretty awesome and now it's like if another opportunity comes up where I even remotely like an artist that's going to be at the Grand Museum, I think I'd be just down to go because that was a really cool experience. Even if I honestly didn't even expect them to play a lot. I thought it was just going to be like an interview and like an announcement where they announced they're they're having a world orchestral tour at the Dolby Theater in Tokyo and England and New York. And he just so happens to be doing the Los Angeles one on um, the day before I come back from Japan this year. And I'm like, damn it. Hmm. Could have
0: gone. But that like, is the worst feeling. So, there are multiple concerts. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to that concert. And then I was like, oh, I'm flying back. Like the hour, like uh, fallboy Bringing the Horizon are playing at a BMO st- or whatever it's called out here. Is it BMO now? BMO. B- BMO? Yep. Huh. Used to be Bank of California. Well, anyway. They're playing that concert venue. They're playing that stadium, and they're playing it literally as I'm la- like, I will be flying over LA and seeing the lights from the stadium shooting up and being like, I could have been at that concert, but I'm in the air above it. So yeah, I feel your pain control uh, is my point. Not that I, I didn't, didn't
2: have fun in Florida, but I did miss uh, the Man with the Mission concert, Man with the Mission being. Mm-hmm. Uh, the artists that are currently performing the season's opening of season of uh Demon Slayer. Uh really? Yeah, they do um my favorite Gundam opening. They also do Did you ever see Inuyashiki?
1: <laughs> just Inuyasha, but not Inuyashiki. Yashiki.
2: The Cindy? the word about the uh the old man who becomes a robot? No, no? Oh I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but no, they do the intro to that one. They they do a couple of other uh oh they did a, a my hero opening. they did a couple
0: like anime openings.
2: They played on the Monday that I came back.
0: So we've all felt this pain, yeah, angel. yeah. yeah and the only thing we I was, all can relate. We feel your pain.
1: The last thing I was gonna say is that uh the because I said the world tour, his performance in Tokyo is also like right before. I go to Tokyo. So it's like I'm sandwiched between performances that I just missed. But, but at least
0: you guys see him at the Grammy Museum.
1: Yeah, I got to see him at the Grammy Museum. Got to see him, you know, in the – I already forgot the name of that concert venue I went to in Hollywood in Palladium? February. Palladium, yes, that one. Oh, wow. Thank you, Jason. But, I got
0: you. I got your back. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's pretty
1: much that. And, I mean, I guess I did also – Spent $500 in Lego sets. I got the Lego art Great Wave, which I'll build at the Great Wave. Admire it for a while. And then eventually I got the code for the little round pieces so that I could buy them in any color I want. So that I could, you know, make custom art of Lego that I could hang, which will be fun to eventually do. And then I also bought a, the Lego Grand Piano because I really wanted the Grand Piano and I know the reason. But yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Are you getting um the Pac-Man replica arcade that they announced for the Pac-Man's forty third birthday? Lego? Yep, it was announced today. Or well, today as of this recording.
1: Huh. Let me Google that. Could I it? Right has on. a little
0: crank, and if you turn the crank, it'll do a little like the ghosts and Pac Man move around the maze. Huh, Pac-Man, Lego.
1: And of course, yes, if you already guessed it, it is because Bowser plays Peaches that I got the Lego Grand Piano. So, so have ra- Lego
0: Bowser at the Lego Piano? Yeah, they're Lego Peaches.
1: They're in scale with each other, but I mean I'm, it was already on my radar, this just like, you know, tipped the scale. I was always kind of on the fence about it. Oh, this arcade looks kind of neat.
0: It's um, literally the arcade machine version of the NES set they did. Like, it's the same kind of mechanics of like, you crank it, it animates the game. And,
1: it's about half the yeah. price but of it the... It's not a light
0: though, you could press a button and it lights up.
1: It's about half the price of the Grand Piano.
0: Yep, it's 269 which is the same price the NES set goes for.
1: Oh, it's the same price as the Bowser, the
0: mighty yep, Bowser. Yep, yep, it's all, it's all like the high-end LEGO price, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. and also happy birthday Pac-Man. Doesn't look a day over. Happy birthday. I don't know. What. He's 43, apparently.
1: 43 but and me.
0: He's over the hill. Yep. I already forgot what we were talking about. Oh, yeah,
1: Florida. You guys went to Florida.
0: Yes, we did. We went down to Disney World, Kevin and I. Um, Kevin, when was the last time you were at a Disney theme park? It's been a while. California Adventure was still being built in Disneyland. Okay, so it's been at least two decades, roughly. Gee, that's a growing process. That's a long time. So what was your – having spent – so for everyone, for the listeners out there, we went to – uh, California Adventure wow well, no we didn't we went to Disney World and we went to uh, Universal's Islands of Adventure we did Disney World for two days so it was Epcot and- on one day and then uh, Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom on the second day and then it was Islands of Adventure on the third day and then we flew out that night Kevin what was your thought being in the Disney World for the first time in two decades how did you feel about the experience what, what do you think of Disney theme parks well Epcot it really like a Disney theme park, if you think about it. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's like a World's Fair, but modern.
2: Yeah, so I can't really speak much to that one. Um, but, like, Epcot was really cool. Uh, we went to the Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom was okay. We didn't really spend a lot of time there.
0: And then the Magic Kingdom... Oh, yeah, you guys got a late start that day. That's right. Yeah, because we were up at like 730 there like our half of the group and then the Magic Kingdom and, just seemed
2: really small yeah. to what I thought it was going to be
0: which is fine because it's bigger than the one here oh really wow oh interesting I think so or at least the same size yeah but I mean
2: I, I don't know I, Disneyland Disney World is a place for me I am not too I'm more of a Six Flags kind of person
0: right Right. But like so I still had a of adventure done.
2: Yeah, it, it, was, you, it I, sounds like I went more to celebrate with friends that it was to go to Disneyland slash Disney World. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The context for all listeners out there is a friend of ours and myself, we kind of made it like a birthday trip for the two of us. He was doing a birthday trip and he's like, Do you all go. And I'm like, huh, my birthday's three weeks after yours. <laughs> I'm just going to piggyback and we both our birthdays and that's kind of how it came to be. So, yeah, it was like a group of six of us for that reason. Yeah. But yeah, it was was, – you know what's interesting is someone who has been to Disneyland repeatedly with the annual pass and who has been to Universal Studios here in L.A. recently for Nintendo World. It's very interesting how Disney World is just like – I mean obviously you're like, oh, it's Disneyland but it's bigger, right? Like the name implies it. The thought is there. It's five – four parks instead of one or two. Like it sounds just like more of the same. But what I thought was very interesting is a lot of the rides there are literally (laughs) just the rides here but like – thought through further so like space mountain was built there a little later than here i believe so they changed the cart a little or like the newer rides uh there's a great guardians of the galaxy ride called cosmic rewind and there's um it's kind of like a what space mountain would be if you built it in the 2020s or like there's uh, in the animal kingdom there's pandora um this whole world pandora which it looks it's small but thematically looks really cool. They managed to make it look like you have the floating land masses and stuff. And its signature ride is called um, Flight of – Flight Passage, Avatar Flight of Passage, something like that. And it's literally just soaring over California, which is out here in California Adventure. But instead of you being in a fake swing, you're sitting on the back of like a fake um, Banshee from – well, it's not even a fake Banshee. You're sitting on a thing that replicates what it's like as if you were riding a Banshee in the Avatar world. So like – it's the same technology as soaring Over California. Like, you have this screen, and you kind of dip and move in front of it, but they've made it 3D, and they put you on this banshee that um, is basically this—I don't even know how to describe it. It's also you're, like you're on horseback, but you kind of lean forward, but then the machine that you're sitting on breathes. So it feels like you're really on a living creature. Like, it pushes against your thighs in and out with, like, a rhythm of breathing. And when we're exhilarating things happen, you can feel it, like, tense up, and when things get a little calmer, like there's a rest point, you can feel a kind of sigh. And it's actually kind of cool, but again, it's very much just like, oh, well, if you've done soaring over California in L.A., do that, but instead of a Swing, you're on, like, a fake horse. You've done Space Mountain here in L.A., well, go to Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, and, like, it's kind of the same idea, except now the carts themselves can spin, not just the, you're not just going down a track, you're going sideways and stuff. So, like, it, it it's, it's just interesting. It's really cool and really fun, but it's really interesting to be there and sort of See how it's not even just a bigger Disneyland, but just, like, all these, like, sequel rides of sorts to rides you know and love. Like, what would a Space Mountain 2.0 be? What would a California Soarin' or Soarin' or California be? Um, and I wasn't really expecting that. I thought all the rides would be kind of more unique in that regard. And some are. There's a fun Tron one. We should talk about the Tron one, actually, because that one has a – that's interesting. But, um, yeah, I was surprised at how many of the rides – the newer rides were just kind of riffs on – things we have that almost sort of make the things we had seem lesser by comparison because now there's these souped up ones down in florida um yeah that's kind of my hot take of the whole experience it's not a bad thing it's great and it's cool to be able to experience that and the guardians ride i mean i think that was the favorite of the group right kevin like we all love that guardians ride
2: uh i wouldn't say it was the favorite but it was definitely the favorite with disneyland
0: yeah, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. I mean, of, of Disney World. Yeah. No, I, World. I know what yeah, you're going to say next. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get to what I think you're angling at, what'd you make of the Tron ride? Cause that, that, that's brand Way new to you. That short. Tron ride. Tr- yes. Yeah. It's like 30 seconds. Um, but for context, for Angel, for listeners out there, that Tron ride, light. Light run? Uh, light. Cycle run? Light cycle, double slash run. Light cycle, and then literally two backspaces for reasons unknown, and then the word run. Um, it's been open six weeks when we went. Maybe seven. And uh you actually like ride a light sight. Like as a Tron nerd, I thought it was amazing. You actually like you you get on the roller coaster is shaped like the Tron bike. You sort of saddle in and lean forward on it. They do a not great job of explaining how to properly sit. Um, because again, it's so new. So I was like very crouched over it, and then when I was doing the ride, I kept kind of trying to like train crane my neck up to be able to see all the visuals but then i i looked at you kevin and you were just sitting upright and i'm like oh that's so much easier and sure enough when we did it the second time so much easier but um yeah you're like physically like hunched over this thing and there were multiple people that couldn't actually the way it's situated just it's not very accommodating they're asking a lot of the rider to do that right like you can't some people just literally can't fit And some people just, like, don't know how to sit properly. And it's one of those things where it's just, like, you'd put in a lot of effort just to go on this ride that then ends up being about 30 seconds long. And it's a great 30 seconds, but it's, like, 30 seconds, right? Like, roughly. Yeah,
2: it's – it definitely wouldn't be worth, like, an hour wait. Yeah, and
0: right now they have it – no, I agree. And right now they have it set up where you can do either a virtual queue for it. So at 7 a.m. or 1 p.m., just like if you've been out here to, to the L.A. park, um, you can go on the app. And if you're lucky, you get a, a time assigned or Disney now nickels and dimes. So you could pay about 20 bucks to get a lightning lane, which gives you access at time of your purchased choice. Um, and we did that for Guardians and we did that for Tron. So 20 lanes at twice. a time? I mean 20 bucks at a time? Yeah. So yep. per ride? Yep. Yep. It's crazy, but then when you wait 75 minutes on Guardians and want to do it again before you leave the park, you're like, well, I guess I'm paying. Like we and, – and what really sucks about it, the people that do it while you're waiting in the normal line bypass you, of course. So you don't have a real good bra- – like they, they are pretty decent at estimating – You know, if they say it will be 75 minutes, it will be 75 minutes, but you're sitting there. Ten feet from the entrance to the ride, watching all these people just stream past you, and it seems like it, it doesn't feel as fair, quote unquote, as the old fast pass system where if you just came first thing in the morning, and grabbed a ticket, you're good. Like it's literally like a pay to play sort of. It's paid DLC. It's uh, where those amiibo unlocks you hate. It was in Zelda, Kevin, the ones that like you could unlock stuff. Oh, paid quality of life amiibo. It, it was that basically but for rides and we waited for guardians we waited the 75 minutes and then we did it with lightning lane and we were through it in five minutes and it was amazing oh yeah <laughs> so it was so much better it's, don't i know get, don't it's get us awful wrong. when oh it's amazing it's awful when you're on the other when you're on the free side it's spectacular when you pay 20 dollars a pop and it's prorated so it might be 14 it might be 17 it might be 20 but it's it's so great when you're on that side yeah um but, yeah, that that's kind of the weird thing. I don't know where I was going with that, but that's kind of the weird thing is now everything has, like, a pay-to-skip. Um, but I do think with Tron, if anyone listening wants to check it out, yeah, it's not necessarily worth the wait. Right now you can only do Lightning Lane or Virtual, and um, I highly recommend doing it at the end of the day because part of it is outside, and it, having it all lit up is pretty pretty cool. And if you do what we did, Kevin and I had our own personal ride. We um, – we were the last, one of the last groups to go at like 10 p.m. on a Sunday, so we got we got the front. We were the only two. Actually, no, there, was there someone behind us, Kevin, in like a weird, awkward, like third seat? I think there might have been. Man, I mean, I wish I could have been. But there. but yeah, but we basically had our own ride, and it was cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yes, that brings us to the. Oh, sorry, what I'll was go for it. I mean,
1: I've I was only no, heard about, about Donald, but that's about it.
0: You know, we tried to get you a picture of, of us with Donald. Um, he was oh. wearing a sombrero, in fact, and we stood in line for it, and then he had to go take a heat break. And then when oh. he came – and then we're, we waited and waited, and he didn't come back and we're like, screw it. Let's just go. And, of course, the second we leave a line, guess who comes, like, sambaing down the – like, literally dancing back to his spot? Donald. Like, literally 10 seconds after we got out of line. So we tried, Angel. We really tried. Oh,
1: much appreciated. But thankfully, yeah. I want to say it was my sister. Or maybe it was. No, I think it was my sister that brought me the that Donald as a plushie with the poncho and the sombrero.
0: Oh, yeah. We didn't get you anything. Kevin, we're bad friends. We didn't get Angel anything. No, so we first, I didn't oh, get oh, anybody anything. Oh, neither did I. Oh, oh,
1: Always yeah. brought me back a... Uh, an angry Donald pin and a chocolate factory or chocolate emporium. Cookie. Actually,
0: you know what? I'm gonna piggy. I'm gonna steal credit there. I was with Elvis when he bought that pin, so it's like I gave it to you. So you're welcome. I had nothing to do with the purchase. I just stood next to him when he did it. So fair enough. Yeah. So there you go. But yeah, um, Kevin, you were saying the ride that you think the group liked best. Um, I'm guessing you mean the Velocicoaster. I don't know if Hell sure. yeah. Yeah. Walk us through that. Talk us through that. Tell us about that. Lost Coaster. So, uh,
2: we went to Adventure Universal Studios, right? Correct. Yep. We have to beat Path-like. Uh, it was the last place that we went to. Uh, while on there, we got on the Incredible Hulk Coaster, which... Kind of lazy. They just call it the Incredible Hulk Coaster. Like, It, it had no... Uh, has no subtitle? Like, come on. We, we
0: can... We're better than this, guys. Um, <laughs> it's not called, like, Incredible Hulk, Hulk like, Smashing gamma, gamma or smash, something.
2: Definitely. It's just the
0: Incredible Hulk coaster. That's it. Gamma Rush. <laughs> <No>. Gamma, gamma <laughs> Rush. Gamma Rush is pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. I try. Um, Radioactive Rush. There it is. No, Radioactive no, no, Rush. It's
2: just the Incredible Hulk coaster. Um, not even the Incredicoaster?
0: I'll have to get that taken. But, yeah. well, well, I think Disney might have a copyright yeah. on that one. <laughs>
2: But, um, they have another coaster at, at Island of Adventure called the Jurassic World Velocity Coaster. And this might be one of my favorite roller coasters of all time. Um, it's hard to explain what about it makes it so awesome. But essentially, think of like a high octane roller coaster, but instead of, you know, those, uh, those restraints that like go over your head and like strap your shoulders in you literally just have a lap bar and you're doing like all these corkscrews and turns that flip you
0: upside down well, and to, that's to what be gives fair, some of the rush to the ride it has it's a lap bar that has the shoulder pads but it's not a shoulder strap in like it comes yeah, over like, your yeah. head yeah just so people don't think you're just like dangling totally loose it's not totally No, loose. I, I, said that that, I
2: said that there was a lap bar
0: yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, like, there's the lap bars at Disney, which are just, like, literally a bar on your lap, and then there's these, which have, like, the shoulder piece.
2: Did this have a shoulder piece? It I don't did. remember yeah. it having a shoulder piece.
0: Wait, did it not? No,
2: that was sort of the point.
0: Oh. Huh. Well, then. I remember
2: because when okay. Okay. I did got on it with Elvis. Of
0: it does. Yes, actually. Yes. In multiple ways.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, what are
1: you think about Elvis?
2: I know for a fact it didn't have the shoulder part because we challenged each other to keep our arms raised the entire uh the entire ride, and so a shoulder yeah, would have stop now. this. You're right, no shoulder. Yeah, it has no shoulder. That's what makes it. That's what gives it its yep. rush.
0: Like only yep. a lap bar yep. is keeping you from flinging off this ride. And you go upside down. To be clear, like you're upside down over people on the ground walking around over water right? at some point. A lap bar and water. Yep. Yep.
2: Uh, Jason got conquered his fear of uh, being in the front of the ride this time.
0: Yeah, so general thing about me, I don't really like big roller coasters in general. Um, I've come around on them, no pun intended, because they go in circles. But no, I. Uh, yeah, I don't like the ones that, like, you get hit with, like, all these Gs and you do a corkscrew and you feel like you're going to pass out. Like, I'm I'm good without those. I don't need adrenaline in my life <laughs> at that level. My risk-taking is a phone without a case, not doing that. So, um, yeah, it was – so I've slowly kind of worked my way up. Like, I can do Space Mountain just fine. We did Tron the night before. And we were in the front of that, and that is a roller coaster where you're, like, on a fake bike. So I was, like, building towards it. But we get to Velocicoaster, and I don't know what to expect. I agreed to do it with you guys without really knowing anything about it. Cause I was like, whatever. And then as we get there, it's like, Oh, well, Jason, we're going to do the front of the thing. So you don't even have like a, you just have the track in front of you as you go through all these twists and turns and you do, you go upside down and you like there's, you know, the lap bars, all that's restraining you. And I was like, "What, what? And you know, I, it took a little while, but eventually once I, it was clear that there's no corkscrews, I was just like, whatever, fine. I'll try it. Let's see how it is. And I'm very glad you guys pushed me because, yeah, it was super awesome. Like, it was really fun. To your question, Angel, they do have some theme. You don't really notice it because you're going so fast, but they do have a couple of Velociraptor, like, statues as you go through it. They have some, like, projections in the waiting area of, like, Velociraptors, like, chasing the coaster. So, like, they do, like, a a hologram off screen, basically, so as the coaster launches and you see see raptors going after it. But um, it's just a really fun ride. Yeah. So I'm very glad you guys pushed me.
2: Yeah. And, uh... As far as the trip goes, that's pretty much all we did, right? Yeah,
0: that's about it. I do think it's interesting if you were to compare – so, like, if you look at, I don't know, the Harry Potter section of Universal or, like, Nintendo World at the Hollywood one, those kind of feel a little more like Disneyland and World in the sense that they're pretty heavily themed – Like, if you look at, well, actually, no, they're more than what Disney World used to do. They're like what Pandora is. They're like, they're like kind of this next level theming. But what was interesting is a lot of the park of Universal, I thought, was like very lightly themed. Like, they had a Marvel um, superhero island, which is all like 90s Marvel comics, Marvel aesthetic of the 90s, bright colors, you know, that whole thing. Like, it literally looked like it fell out of a Marvel cartoon. And it had a fun Spider Man ride that does some hydraulics and fire and stuff. But for the most part, what I noticed with Universal that kind of struck me as interesting is outside of Harry Potter, they didn't really – like it was themed but it wasn't themed. Like it's like, oh, you're in Jurassic Park, so there's some trees now. Oh, you're in Marvel, so there's some like buildings now. Like it it felt very more focused on the rides and the roller coasters and that in the older parts of Island of Adventure while I feel like some of Disney's stuff just felt a little more like – you're just in it. Like, you're in the animal kingdom. You're on a safari. Now you're over here. And, yeah, so that was kind of an interesting contrast. But it kind of fits with, you know, what you were saying, of about, like, some of them are more focused on, like, the rides and the type of ride. And some are more focused on the world building. And, like, Epcot, for example, barely has rides. It's just, like, little themed towns of every place in the world you could think of. So that was kind of an interesting contrast. But, yeah, that was pretty much the trip. Um... There's another good, pretty fun motorcycle. Did you do the Hagrid one? Yeah, I did the Hagrid one. That's right. That's right. That one's kind of fun too. Um, it's only in Florida. It's in the Harry Potter part. So Harry Potter is too – Harry Potter in Florida is interesting in that there's Hogwarts in Universal Studios uh, Orlando, and then there's Hogsmeade in Islands of Adventure, and there's a like train that connects the two, like in Harry Potter, you know, platform nine and three quarters or whatever. But they're actually two separate parks. So you need two separate passes to do the two parts of Harry Potter. But they connect them with a special thing. Um, so in the Hogsmeade part, they have this exclusive ride down there where you're also on a motorcycle, kind of like Tron, except you're sitting upright and there's a sidecar that someone else could send. And it's like – that I thought actually was pretty good at bridging the gap between a themed ride and a roller coaster. Like that one was pretty fun. It, it has some roller coastery things. It has some unexpected – Things, i not to spoil. It was definitely...
2: It was deeper than I thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I thought... Like, I thought that was very really, That was the probably even more so than... Like, Jurassic World... Like, Velocicoaster did a great job of theming. Like, the waiting areas were really good. Like, everything was, like, themed up until the coaster. But the the um Hagrid one felt actually, like, themed all the way through, which was kind of cool. So... But I think that's about it for theme park stuff. Unless, Angel, do you have questions about any of our experiences at, at Florida? Uh, I mean,
1: I guess not too much. I mean, the only one I had that I had asked, Eric and Elvis, um, they couldn't answer because I guess you guys didn't go to wherever the Gringotts Bank was. But I guess you could take a Hogwarts Express over there or something. But
0: Yeah, yeah. That's in the other park. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It, we also uh... didn't get butterbeer. Yeah, that was, like, the only other thing I guess, like, if it tastes anything over there. But have you had the Butterbeer here?
0: No, I've never been to the Harry Potter park here. I've never been to the Hogwarts, and I still haven't. Even in Florida, I didn't do it. So wow, and you even have a you, yeah.
1: seasonal pass or whatever they call
0: it. Yeah, so do you. And neither of us have gone back since we went to Nintendo World that one time. Um, but that all Yeah, you know, it, I did do one of the Harry Potter rides outside of Hagrid when we were down there. I did the uh, Harry's Escape or whatever it's called. That was interesting because it was sort of a – like what – how do I describe this? So one thing Disney does quite traditionally in their parks and they do it with newer stuff too. They do it with like the Frozen ride and stuff is the dark ride, right? Like you're on a boat or you're on like a floating moving thing on a track and then like things happen around you with animatronics. They had an avatar with Pandora with a really impressive Navi animatronic and then a bunch of just – nothing around it uh but they they you know that's kind of their signature thing what universal seems to have kind of done i think like the spider-man ride was maybe the first pass of it and then they really doubled down with harry is what if that dark ride like wasn't on a track and used some 3d stuff and had some like swinging around and you know you're moving kind of on the z-axis as well as the x and y and like what would that feel like and it makes a very different experience because the, the one thing I will say is the Harry Potter ride I think, Kevin, you skipped, um, the Harry's Escape one, it was a really cool blend of physical, digital, like animatronics, real props, like smoke effects. At one point, they lift the seat you're in completely upside down, like you are literally upside down, just kind of like bobbing around. Like it, it's really – it's on like an, a robotic arm. So really you're just going in kind of like a carousel of sorts on the robotic with other ones. But the way they move everything around you and then they had this whole thing with the Dementors. It's all physical props and it was really cool. And that's something that I guess in the L.A. one they can't fit as much physicals; so it's more screens. But down there it was super slick. So that's something I think is really interesting that um, Universal is doing more of than even Disney is they kind of – what if we did a dark ride but it wasn't just a boat on the water? What if it was like some way more elaborate thing? That isn't just screens like the Transformers ride that – you know, we have in L.A., but, like, actually, like, integrating. Like, like Mario Kart, having now experienced more of Universal, the Mario Kart ride at Nintendo World kind of feels like a slowed down, like, easier for kids version of one of these, like, Harry Potter or Spider-Man rides or something. And as a perspective I didn't have when we first went into that ride. Like, definitely still has some unique stuff with the AR and the 3D and stuff, but just kind of the ebb and flow of it. Is actually pretty safe, quote unquote, by universal standards, which was interesting to kind of come to that realization. But, but yeah, I, I really didn't expect yeah. Random Nintendo to become such a theme park heavy podcast since we switched over. Like, we've been to so many things in the last like year, but here we are.
2: Well, is want to going back?
0: Yeah, yeah. But oh wait, where am I going back? Oh, I don't, I don't know, dude. Florida was so hot and humid, so I'm, I'm good. For I don't a while. think you're ready for a Christmas trip. No, no, I'm I'm good. I mean, Kevin, when's the next time you think you're gonna go to a theme park, or have you gotten your fill for the next twenty years? I've got my fill for a while now. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, we we hit the ground running out there. Like, I I did the math on my watch afterwards, and granted, I got there a few hours before you guys. Between the four three and a half days I was there, uh, walked fifty five zero miles. So, yeah. Got got my fill too for at least the next couple of weeks until we use all of our annual passes back out here. Um. Yeah, yeah, but that was a lot about what Kevin and I have been doing. Angel, I see you have a movie on this list here.
1: I do randomly saw yes. Wolfwalker. I think it's actually
0: Wolfwalker. Is that the one on Apple is. TV, the animated one?
1: It is, and oh my god, I feel bad that I don't remember the name of the studio that makes it, but. I should know because they also did Secret of the Kells and uh, oh my god, Song of the Sea. Um, basically, like very, very pretty looking movies. Um, like the production value. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the production values are are really great. I mean, it's traditionally hand drawn. Um, I mean, you could definitely tell. These are some very little computers, but this movie in particular has a very sketchy look to it. And I don't mean sketchy as in like weird. just like you could literally see the the basic shapes used to make up some of the animals or I guess the wolves in this movie. Spoiler alert, there are wolves. But
0: I mean it's only in the title. Do they uh, walk
1: the wolves? Uh yes and no. I mean wolf walker I guess is more referring to I guess a person that can also turn into a wolf. But uh the wolves themselves don't necessarily walk like people. They walk like wolves. But I guess that's the wolf walking. Walking is walking. But yeah, this movie, I don't know. It, it's interesting because I I guess I'd heard a lot about it over the last, I don't remember when it came out, 2021? Maybe 2022? But it was on my two-watch list for a while. You know, just kind of revered a little. But I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. It definitely felt like it had potential at many points, but it never really quite grabbed me at any like point. Like it never made me go like, "Oh man, I need to see what happens next." It, it kind of—I don't know. For a short film, honestly, how long was it? It felt long, but not in a good way. Like it—it it dragged. It felt yeah, it was an hour and forty-three
0: minutes okay but yeah it felt like it was two hours that's that's longer than the mario movie just for point of reference that's yeah. a decently long, decent know, length of a movie
1: yeah i think it it could have upped its pacing a little it definitely felt like it took its time like i feel like we kind of got the point a couple times and it's like all right cool we're, we're kind of ready to move on but yeah they just kind of fit on scenes for a while and and i get it like It may be, it may be for like a slightly younger audience, but then I definitely did kind of get that vibe where, you know, not to say that, you know, movies for kids can't be enjoyed by adults, but you know, you could kind of, you, you can have both. And I felt like this movie kind of just went for a very, very straightforward, very, very unfortunately predictable. Like there are certain parts where you're like, like, oh, man, are they going to go for this? Like, damn. But then they don't. Or like, oh, man, are they going to... Like, is this... I'll just say it. Like, is this death going to hold? And then it doesn't. And you're like... You kind of know what it's going to, but you're like, if it did, then it would almost like make the... Just almost like make what you're kind of going through worth it. Because, you know, it feels like there has to be stakes. And it never really feels like they're much in danger. I mean, the general premise is that you have this um, daughter and father that move from England to Ireland. And the father is like a wolf hunter. And it's his job to kill all the wolves in the forest nearby because they're tormenting the the sheep herders. But right away, kind of like the... Almost immediately, you see sheep herders and then wolves come out. But then the wolves don't ever try to kill any of the sheep and then the the sheep herder they do injure is healed almost immediately by these said wolf walkers you know these people that turn into wolves and then so they're like oh okay so they're kind of there to protect them but they're like not they're basically harmless it's like what you get from that and that's like at the beginning but then i don't know everyone still acts super i don't know it, it's weird it it feels like there's a threat level where you're kind of confused, like, huh, it almost feels like there's kind of an issue there. It feels like there's almost like a conflict just to have a conflict. I feel like they could have found some other way to really at least make it feel like they're really butting heads outside of we don't really understand each other. I don't know. I feel I guess I feel like the wolves and the people don't interact enough. And the story is mainly told through this young girl who wants to, you know, is looking for adventure, but she's trapped in this town like not being able to do much. So she kind of goes out to explore and tries to help her dad capture the wolves, but discovers the wolf walkers and, you know, accidentally gets bitten. This is not really a spoiler by one of the said wolf walkers. And then she has the ability to turn into a wolf. And then that was probably like the most interesting part of the dilemma where it's like, Oh, now she's a wolf too. And now her dad potentially has to hunt her. But that doesn't really go anywhere after a while it's like it's like a conflict maybe for one scene and then that's kind of it i don't know it's like they have all this good drama they could like really explore but then they just kind of don't they're just like like oh let's go back to keeping it simple like oh let's just go back to the one goal and that sounds like i'm harping a lot on it but you know visually it was amazing you know Simple story. It it gets the job done, but I was just always kind of feeling like, where is it going? I just kept asking, like, oh, like, where is this going? But then it just kind of gets there, and you're like, oh, okay. All right, that's fine. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about the movie. It's been a while since I feel like I've been critical of an animated film, but... Or maybe not. I don't remember the last time I talked about an animated film here. But this is one in particular that I was looking forward to, like liking in the like oh this is going to be another classic because usually the animated films that i hear a lot of positive feedback about and when i watch them usually i do end up agreeing with you know the general feedback but this one kind of didn't this one kind of fell a little flat to me maybe others will like it i mean i would still recommend it especially if you got kids like give it a shot but no, do I, guess I was looking for just something a little just a little more complex just a little it's a little bit more
0: a little deeper maybe yeah
1: just, just a little it, it left me uh hungry like the wolf if you will but that's about it
0: oh look at that i see what you did there yeah but yeah yeah,
1: yeah that's my take on wolf i mean yeah apple tv plus i finally did get to finish the first episode of severance i think i started the first episode months ago so when i finished it the last 30 minutes <laughs> um i remember i was watching it with my brother-in-law and my sister and then like you know this woman appears at the end and then they both look at me and i'm just like uh-huh and then they're like do you know who that is and i'm like no i mean is that is that supposed to be her boss i guess because you know, i guess they introduced her in the beginning but i had forgotten what she looked like because it's been so long yeah so you know yeah. and then and then you know then she has an expression it's like oh intrigue i guess Either she is not severed and they're just keeping an eye on him because I guess he's special for some reason or they –
0: she is severed and they just happen to live next to each other and they don't know. I'm not telling you anything. All I'm saying, Angel, is watch the whole show. In fact, every listener out there, severance, excellent show.
1: Yeah, poor Ben and like post-divorce with Leslie or –
0: yeah, I I think that's like the – Yeah, I don't think it's the same universe but sure, sure, yes. Yeah, that's what happened after they split. He leaves Pawnee and moves to a very cold, snowy city. And then he just lives a miserable life. Yep. That, yeah. that is, uh... But the premise is cool.
1: I mean, I don't necessarily feel like I have to rewatch the first half of the first episode. Cause...
0: Even though you literally didn't recognize one of the people, that's crucial.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I guess who she was based on, like, I guess why they turned like and went, like, who do you think it is? But, uh, yeah, you know, curious to keep going. Definitely still
0: engaged in this It sentence. is a good show. I really don't want to say more than that. I don't want to spoil anything. It's a good show.
1: Is each episode um, an hour long or is it just like the first episode?
0: Yeah, is, oh, they're about. Well, I'll try not to split these up into with a month-long yeah, gap in between. Yeah, you should watch them as like a single unit as they were released. Yeah,
1: if, if only it could be like um, Unicorn Eternal Warriors which is another show I've been watching on HBO Max, which is a Gendi Tordakovsky show. And if you don't recognize that name, that's the dude that did Primal, Dexter's Lab, Samurai Jack, and a couple of the things I'm blanking on. I guess we'll throw a whole Castlevania in there. But yeah, awesome animation. It's only four episodes in so far, but pretty much enjoying that. That has a lot of mystery and intrigue that I was kind of looking for in an animated series. But very interesting art style. It's almost like they really took a lot of inspiration from Astro Boy and Popeye, in these characters. Oh, designs. interesting! Yeah, like very thick limbs. Um, everyone looks like they're yeah, like ripped out from like all these cartoons. Like the main character straight up looks like Betty Boop. At um, least her head does, but yeah, pretty cool, pretty mysterious. Very silent show. Like this is definitely not afraid to take its time, but not in a move it along wolf walkers kind of way but yeah i guess i ended up talking about a couple things so
0: also for what it's worth uh for everyone listening by the time they hear this it's not on hbo max it's on max because the name's changing over between us recording this and us posting this i think i think it switches tomorrow really so i believe so maybe uh, it switches wednesday but yeah it's it's max the one to watch which i don't even know what that slogan means but yeah it's Max. you want to watch <laughs> No, the one to watch. Oh, that's the name. That's the slogan now. It's Max, the one to because they're saying it's one unified app with Discovery and HBO Max. So it's the one to watch, but they're not using the Discovery name in any of the marketing. So I'm not really sure what that slogan's about.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But anyway, I I you uh, know I was saying before I didn't think when we switched to the randomer format we would have so much theme park talk, but also. We do have Nintendo in our name, right? So I feel like we stayed the 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 biggie here for maybe our last topic. Is it our last topic? But um, Zelda. I mean, let, let's be real here. We can't be a podcast of Nintendo in our name and not talk about the legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Like this is the completion of the Holy Trinity or, or I guess the Triforce if you want to be – true to the topic at hand but but like really the trio of like big moments for Nintendo fans this year like we got the theme park we got the Mario movie and now we've got what so many were expecting to be like the magnum opus of the Switch library which is Zelda Um, I've been playing if I'm not mistaken I might be the only one so far is that possible you two have not started Correct. yeah yeah. Not to sounds like I don't there's want more to you. that Yeah, yeah would you like to elaborate angel I, I hear that sigh i just, hear there's a thought behind it Just been busy like I,
1: didn't, I haven't even bought it yet i haven't even bought it yet um i ended up being a kind of an easy decision but you know when i talked about resident evil 4 i was very much looking forward to getting that game didn't even get that game when it came out i've since bought it i don't i think i'm maybe two and a half hours in and that was m- like about a month ago Maybe a little more. I started to forget what I was doing. But I just don't really have a lot of time to just sit down and play a, like a single-player game. So, Especially a
0: lengthy one like this, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I'd probably beeline it just like I did um, Breath of mm. the Wild. And then go back and explore. But but yeah, I figured like, I'm going to try to be Resident really Evil 4 first. Um, I might try to do that during the Memorial Day weekend. Might have some time there. But at this point, you know... Breath of the Wild is not going anywhere. I mean, Tears of the Kingdom isn't going anywhere. I am getting more than enough entertainment from all the videos being shared on Korok's space, oh, yeah. Korok space program and all the crazy things people are building. But
0: Yeah. yeah. Which I, to be clear, i am not good at any of that. I have not built – I have not crucified a Korok. I have not built a fire shooting anything. I just – yeah. I've just been – the best I built was a little four-wheel – Blank board that has four wheels. <laughs> like, you, like, I'm not good at that part. But... Did you? Denounce yeah. What about you, Kevin?
1: Zelda: After Breath of the Wild, or that, that one left a bad taste in your mouth?
2: Say that I'm sorry.
1: Did you denounce uh, this one after Breath of the Wild left you a bad taste in your mouth?
2: No, I just haven't had time to play. I uh, like. I also haven't had time to play. Snap. And, you know how quick and easy that game is to play. Like, I've just Whoa. been really busy.
0: Yeah, that, that's some serious, huh. you don't have time. Wait, but you do yeah.
2: plan on playing it then? Uh, Yeah, I'll pick it up for sure. I don't know how much time I'll put into it, but I'll pick it up for sure.
0: Well, to set the scene here for me, I've put in about eight hours into Tears of the Kingdom so far. Um, So I'm like decently, which by the way, take note everybody that said I don't play my games. I have put in... Four times the number of hours almost that angel played in Resident Evil 4 I'm just saying it, it can happen I can play games for real but I yeah I, I I'd time. say yeah no it, it, that's really what it is and I dude I you know what was so frustrating is I was so ready to have a collective 10 hours flying to and from Florida to play this except I couldn't get the game the game before I left like Best Buy for whatever reason the app was saying on Thursday we flew out on Friday on Tears of the Kingdom release day. The app was saying on Thursday, it's ready for pickup. So I'm like, cool, I'll go get it. Drive to Best Buy, and they're like, nope, that's an error. I'm like, oh, great. But then my flight left an hour before they opened on Friday. So I just had to watch people in the airport play it, of which there were multiple, including a child who was walking and playing and literally walked into a wall. So that's how engrossing Tears of the Kingdom is. If you are an 8 to 10-year-old, you will walk head-on into a wall while playing. But for me – um yeah, so once I got back from Florida, I in about eight hours so far. I'm, like, decently removed from the Great Sky Islands, which, for you guys that haven't played, is basically Tears of the Kingdom's version of the Great Plateau, like a sort of training ground with the new bells and whistles of the game. Um And at that point, you know, you hop off once you're done and carry on into Hyrule itself. You just kind of hop off in a slightly more dramatic fashion this time around. Um But, yeah, so already I do have a couple of Mia takeaways now that I've had some time with the game, I did want to share. Um, These are early thoughts, no real spoilers or anything. Um, But really, I think they kind of illustrate why this game feels like such a standout experience from the time I put into it, at least so far. Like for me, why it feels like a standout. And I think um, first and foremost, it's actually kind of fitting that we were just talking about Disney World. Because when I, well, not just, but you know, a little bit ago. Because when I was trying to figure out how to best describe to you guys what Tears of the Kingdom actually feels like. It's not... It's not just as Majora's Mask as it initially seemed. Like, I still stand by my pre-release comparison I'm making here on the show that, you know, like Majora, the developers here got a little weird and wacky, you know, with the building crazy vehicles and stuff and kind of putting that on top of familiar gameplay. That's very Majora-like. But you know what it actually feels like in practice? This is the Disney world to Breath of the Wild's Disneyland. Like in every way like take the new gameplay systems in the same way as we were discussing before that like you know the avatar ride uh, flight of passage like uh soaring over california 2.0 or the guardians ride uh uh, what's it called cosmic rewind is kind of like a space mountain 2.0 we've got like the original like the foundational systems of the originals of all these things zelda those rides whatever and they're just completely blown out like the idea of of collecting items to cook recipes. Boom. Now every object you can collect can be mixed and matched into weaponry and stuff. Or, you know, you're used to grabbing objects with the Sheikah Slate's magnet, right? And in theory, and as we've seen some clever people do, you can do some rudimentary physics stuff with that and build a couple of rudimentary things. But here, now go all in and just build things and, and, and like, actually attach them to one another. Or or stasis, the idea that you could freeze things in time in the first game. Now you can rewind that. Like... It just felt very much like they took what was there and just went further than you would have expected. And even the lay of the land. Like if you've been to Disneyland and Disney World's Magic Kingdom as we were kind of – you know, I I think actually weirdly I'm the only one that's done both among the three of us and then anyone out there listening. Like they have a lot of the same attractions and landmarks, but things are just like just different enough that they each feel kind of fresh. And with Hyrule, it's a very similar feeling. Like it's familiar in layout – but also quite different in execution. You've got, like, construction materials everywhere to build items. Um, the towns I've encountered so far are different. Uh, and then on top of that, you can do the Zelda equivalent of essentially what's park hopping at Disney World, which is, uh, you know, you can head to the sky, head down into caves. All of them feel organic to the game and utilize a lot of the same systems you're familiar with. But they have unique personalities. They have unique environments, just like, you know, kind of like going to Epcot or Animal Kingdom would. Like, they're still clearly Disney, but they're kind of a little different. It's familiar but at the same time not so familiar. And even in the early stages of the game that I'm in, everything just feels bigger, feels more extravagant, feels more elaborate. Like Tears of the Kingdom seems to take every idea from Breath of the Wild that I thought was kind of self-contained and as far as it would go and just goes where you didn't think it needed to go. Like with the Disney World comparison again. Like, you know, I was saying you, you take around Space Mountain and it's like, okay, well, there's these individual coaster cars and you're kind of locked and you just go down a roller coaster and you as a writer wouldn't necessarily think you need more than this. But then the Imagineers kind of took the ins and outs of that initial mechanic of Space Mountain and just kind of ran with it. And they're like, hey, what if the rides, like your cart suddenly can swivel left and right too and you're spinning around as well as going down track. Boom, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. Like it's, that's what Tears of the Kingdom kind of feels like. And to some degree, um, I guess what I'm describing is sort of what law of sequels are able to do, you know, especially late in a console's life. Like once developers... Are familiar with an engine or a platform or what have you, they're more free to play around in ways that they couldn't initially imagine or, or make happen. Um, it's kind of the developer mindset version of how like a big game late in a console's life is more likely to debut to higher sales, right? Like the install base, the foundation of the console, it's just that much more solidified, so you can have that bigger sales. That many more people can maybe have dabbled in the first game and now want to buy the second, and you know, sure enough, Tears of the Kingdom is proof of this thought. I mean it. Nintendo put out the other day. It sold 10 million copies in the first three days. Um, fastest selling Zelda game of all time. Fastest selling game in North America that Nintendo's ever put out. Like it's it's doing wonders. But um, where I think Tears goes beyond just doing what a sequel does or just building on the foundation is again similar to kind of what Disney World's able to do beyond Disneyland. And it's just it's not just more of the same or the same but bigger. It's just surprising me in how it goes bigger. Like, the first time I rode, there's this thing called Zonai wings, and they're, like, a type of one of the things you can use. And, you know, I'm I'm riding on this flying thing, I see the entire Sky Island, Great Skies Island below. And it was really cool in a way that the flying stuff in Breath of the Wild hasn't been. And it's not, like, I expected or wanted, like, a cool thing in the sky. It was just, like, a really cool moment or, like, you know, the ways I mix and match weapons using the fusibility. Like, that opens up a whole new set of ways to tackle enemies or cobbling camps or whatever, but it still has that same cool feeling as when you did in Breath of the Wild for the first time and you used physics to your advantage. You're like, whoa, that's neat. It feels just as organic here as it did there, even though technically it's an entirely new system, the fuse system. Um, and I think in many ways what I've experienced in Tears of the Kingdom makes Breath of the Wild almost feel like a proof of concept or something. Like it feels like to go back to the Disney parallel. It's similar to how like if you go on Disney World's newer rides, it makes Disneyland ones feel like – that's when everyone was just figuring stuff out for the first time. And and they were, the imaginaries were, just like the developers were with Breath of the Wild. And there's fun to be had in that simplicity. But there's something about Tears of the Kingdom so far that just feels more like final or like more of a fuller picture or just very cohesive in how it blends like what you know from before with these new things you didn't. And it, I, I know it sounds like I'm just like straight up gushing at this point and to a degree I am. Like the game makes a very good first impression in these first eight hours or whatever, but I just didn't expect everything to mesh so smoothly, so quickly. Like, obviously, you know, the Sheikah Slate in the first game primed the pump a bit for what now the Purapad can do in this one. So, um, yeah, like, it's not like it's out of left field, but the freedom that comes with your ability to, you know, grab objects grab any objects and actually build things with the ultra hand. That's such a step up or like, you know, travel to heights you previously wouldn't even think of being able to explore because of the ascendability or or even rewind things to sort of reverse engineer solutions. Like it's been really cool so far. and I'm just, I'm just starting to really get comfortable in learning these systems and how they kind of work. Um, but it also, these the systems, and this is my second point I wanted to raise, it does create an experience that makes me feel very smart when being very dumb. Like, uh, even in the Great Sky Islands, like the training grounds, I found myself going to the wrong shrine initially. I accidentally forgot that I need to cook my spicy peppers to properly be insulated in the cold. I overshot that flying Zonai wing thing I was mentioning, past where I was supposed to land it. Like, you name it, I probably did it. I probably screwed up every way you could. And I'm pretty sure I'm playing the game completely wrong from how the developers wanted me to play. Like even when I got down to Hyrule, I could see little uh, like nudges with things like exploding barrels next to the Bokoblins and stuff, and that's probably what they want you to do: shoot the barrel, blow them up, like in the first game. But I was over there building my little four wheel plank board and mad maxing my way into enemy camps, taking like a bunch of unnecessary damage because I was being dumb and was messing around and just trying things. And you know what? It all worked. All the wrong moves I made still pan down in the end because I think the new systems feel so organic and native to the experience that Breath of Wild first made that it just like there's just ways to overcome everything. You can just get done what you need to get done. And certainly there are times where I was second-guessing what I was doing or thinking I would get stuck. But everything is just so – I don't know what where I'm looking for. I guess cohesive that overcoming the way the game wants me to play in favor of whatever wacky idea I thought was the right way to play – is really rewarding in and of itself. Even if I'm doing it totally wrong, it still feels so right. Like it, And that's really cool. And I'm really curious to further explore that as I get further in game. Like, you know, as I advance into dungeons with deeper puzzles or more of the shrines or what have you, like how reliant is the game going to become on specific abilities or methods? Like right now, the Ultra Hand seems to be my go-to for puzzles. Ascend seems to be my go-to for traveling when, when it's applicable. Uh, rewind by comparison... It's not getting much use for me, but is that by design? Like, is that just because I'm not thinking like, quote unquote, cleverly enough to maximize the potential or like fuse, for example, like so far, that's the most obvious, like you need to use this here now type of ability to get the right type of weapon or item for the right moment. But like, will that open up to alternatives or to alternatives I haven't thought of? Am I even doing that wrong? Think I'm doing it right. Like there's a lot of questions early in the adventure that I'm kind of curious to see, like how these unfold. And what's crazy to me is that in any other Zelda sans maybe Breath of the Wild, um, you know you know each of these abilities will get their fair shake. Like there's always going to be a corresponding dungeon or whatever, right? Like in a normal Zelda game, you get a new ability, you get a dungeon, on you go. Like anytime something really new is integrated, it gets its spotlight. And with Breath of the Wild, because all of it was new, is kind of a different ballgame. Tears of the Kingdom, though, like that's sort of a hodgepodge of the two, right? Like we've got new abilities, intermixed with existing systems, and... You know, through my clever and in my stupidity approaches to things, I have no idea if I'm playing how the developers intended or not or envisioned. I have no idea if I'm using the systems or items as intended. I have no idea if it's even a right or wrong way. But honestly, the the fact that nonetheless the game feels so seamless and fun so far, like that may be the biggest testament of all. I don't know what I'm doing, but it's working and it's a blast and, you know, it's carrying me at least through these early days with the game. So I'm really curious if that holds. Like that kind of free form approach where all these new systems integrate really well. Uh, but obviously it's too early to say, but yeah, that, that's that's kinda of where I'm at right now with the game. Um it's a lot of fun. And I usually prefer more linear stuff, but it's just really fun to just like there's really no wrong way to play so far. So I'm very curious how much I could stretch that. Um but yeah, that that that's about it at this point for what I have to say about Tears of Kingdom. Like I said, it's only I'm only eight hours in, so so a, way, a long to ways hear, to go if I even get there
1: can't wait to hear your progress at 16 hours
0: uh yeah I think <laughs> I think uh <laughs> well so I might make it a 16 I heard that chuckle I think what's actually gonna be interesting is when you guys finally get a chance to play having that deeper conversation and like discussing one what I find to be maybe answers to those questions but two what your guys' experience is and you know your pros and cons if you if the free form thing works for you if there's certain strategies used like like I was saying, I lean on the ultra hand a lot, or you guys gotta lean on the ultra hand a lot. Maybe you prefer something else. Like I don't know, but you know, as a starting point, it it it's really fun, and it's also incredibly polished. There's some uh, interview that Anuma did, the producer did, I think with the Washington Post, and he was saying the game was basically done in March 2022, and then he spent the entire next year polishing it. And I haven't encountered any unexplainable weird physics. I've encountered any graphical glitches, it's maybe been a little bit of a slowdown when using the ultra hand once in a while, but like it's in comparison to Nintendo's last flagship game, in comparison to Scarlet and Violet, this thing is smooth as butter. So, um, yeah. there's like actually one odd thing. There is occasional graphic pop-up off in the distance of things. But besides that, it's incredibly smooth. So, yeah, I'm curious kind of how it all shakes out over time and what you guys think when you get a chance to play it.
1: Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. But I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait a little longer. Hopefully not that much longer. But, yeah i excited.
0: I mean, the the good news is after Pikmin 4, I don't think there's anything coming to the Switch. So oh you have time. my god, Pikmin! I forgot about that one. When does that come out? July, July 26th or something.
1: Okay, I should be done with. See, that's the thing now, because I would rather. Yeah, I would definitely give Pikmin priority over Zelda. So if I'm done with Resident Evil 4 by then, around that period, right. I would definitely play Pikmin first. Which, at this point, is fine. There's plenty of. Zelda content for everybody and you know if you wanted yeah, Zelda by now that. you would get Zelda you would have already had it yeah
0: and it, it is interesting that like if you look at the Switch lineup it's like Zelda's it's bookended by Zelda right like it launched Breath of the Wild Tears of the Kingdom's kind of one of the last big games and then there's like this weird amendment at the end of the book that's just like oh also there's a Pikmin game like it feels I don't know it, it definitely feels like Zelda's the one that's stealing kind of the Switch's final momentum here and Pikmin will just kind of be there
1: and it's not even at like, the end of the well, year. Like, I, I mean, I hope it's not the best thing to come out this year, but it probably is going to be the best thing for Nintendo I, to come out this it year. It seems
0: like Nintendo's... Yeah, oh, there's no way that anything's going to top this, but unless they do a surprise Mario game or something.
1: Well, Pikmin can still top it somehow. It just has to be difficult and not a cakewalk like the last one was.
0: Sans DLC. I'm just glad Pikmin still, like... I just want the merch from Japan to come here. I want those Pikmin flower pots. And if Pikmin Four needing to be difficult to keep the fans happy and sell well is what it takes, make it as hard as it can be, I guess. <laughs> but yeah,
1: I want to to Shadow Drop like a mega mix port of Rhythm Heaven to the Switch or something. I just hope that doesn't. Like, you know, it sounds die like they're the not going have a,
0: It sounds like they're not even going to have a June direct is the rumblings. So like I don't know what Nintendo's cooking up. Well, they're um, up I mean, it, it's interesting. They had their they had their financials come out um since our last episode and they're basically like we don't know what's gonna happen. We're in uncharted terrain, which they said before, but the difference is now the numbers are coming down. Like they missed their f- estimate for switch sales that they already lowered twice. They only missed it by like half a million, but they still missed it. And now they're lowering it again for this coming year. It's going to be like 15 million. It was 18 million before that. Was 20 million. In between, it was 19 million. But like it keeps coming down, and it is sort of dragging them down. Like they're making a ton of money off their IP stuff. They're making plenty of money off, you know, stuff like Zelda and like the Zelda Edition Switch. Like the OLED boosted the Switch sales on the NPD chart in April. Like it, they have stuff to carry them short term. But it sounds like they don't wow, have a whole lot going dead, on long term. did you think? No, it's not dead, but it, we're, we're hitting literally that Literally everyone
1: has one already, it, so they're not making
0: as much Kind of. Like, I don't know if it's going to pass PS2 anymore. Like, there's a lot of talk like, oh, they could sell like 150 million of these things. It could be the best-selling system ever. It could pass PS2. It could pass DS. The momentum's – unless Zelda does crazy numbers, it seems like the momentum that the Mario movie and Zelda are giving it is not going to be enough – to really care because they don't seem to have much else i mean literally in their financial slide deck the big thing like they highlight their big new releases to tell investors look we got you covered we got zelda we got pikmin we have dlc for pokemon scarlet and violet and that was it that was the list i i feel like dlc for pokemon scarlet and violet is not yes it'll help sales but like that's your blockbuster big holiday thing like they didn't i don't know it's it's strange it reminds me of the uh, the end days of the Wii where, like, Skyward Sword came out and then it just kind of pitter-pattered to its death. So, again, there's a lot Nintendo could do with the Switch. Um, they have yet to ever do a real price drop. They can bundle stuff. They can, for the holidays, do some sort of Mario thing, again, like they did before the movie came out, but make it cheaper. They, there's plenty they could do. The system is still selling. $15 million, as they projected. Still a lot of systems – But it is losing momentum. And, like, the games that come out Zelda's side are losing momentum. Like, I I did some comparisons um, back when the financials first dropped. Back when. It was, like, a week ago. Um, But if you look at, like, kind of side-by-side, current Switch releases versus ones in the heyday, like... And this isn't all just because of sales. There's other factors, like the game quality and stuff. But um, Fire Emblem Engage, its first quarter sales were a third less than what three houses on its first quarter or like Bayonetta three that sold a million copies. That's great. But the port of Bayonetta two from the Wii U also sold a million copies. So the original game barely, it's like 1.07 million versus the port doing 1.04 million. And you would think with the install base, the size the switch has, it would get a little more momentum or even like Mario Strikers. It's not the all time best selling Mario Strikers game, the uh, battle league. Mario Tennis Aces and Mario Golf uh, uh, Super Rush, or whatever it was called, were by now the best sellers of their respective franchises. So, like, there's like, they're still doing well and things are still good, but it's slowing. And what that slowdown means is who knows? Because clearly they're starting to focus a lot of effort on whatever the next Switch is. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what that's good. It's a very weird time. Like, Nintendo. It's been a great first half of the year for Nintendo as a fan. Like I've l lo- This has been one of my favorite times being in Nintendo. There's so much cool stuff. But you know, games, movies, theme parks. But um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 weird. Even Nintendo Live, it sounds like they're not gonna announce anything there. It sounds like it's just gonna be promoting existing Evergreens. So it's kinda like again, all right, are we just sort of waiting it out? Like I don't know. So we'll see. I wasn't planning to get into any of this. I started started riffing, I guess, but <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll see what it turns into. But it's definitely an interesting time to be following them.
1: Well, the yep. we only hope.
0: Yep. Um. Yeah, but I think that. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about, Nintendo or otherwise, or should we just end with Tears of the Kingdom? Oh,
1: you might as just end with Tears of the Kingdom. I mean, end on a. I guess we could call it a very positive note on the game yeah. and kind of a ominous note on the financial the on this, the on the company.
0: I mean, mm. they'll they'll pull through. It's just short term what happens, really. But um, yeah, no. The thing with Tears of Kingdom, I'm very it was very glowing. I realized and it's simply because I I haven't reached the point where like I've seen debates online about like oh is Link overpowered or oh is like this that, or next thing and maybe, but I'm I'm not there yet where I have those concerns. I'm just enjoying the the huh. experience at this point so damn because there's a lot those powers there's a lot you can do with the Purapad. pad like it you could argue he's overpowered but I'm, I'm not there yet so so we'll see but anyway okay well if that just about does it i guess i'll jump into the show notes to wrap up the show so as always to make sure you don't miss a future episode which just as a reminder to everyone out there now happens every other tuesday not every other sunday um, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Music. You can find us on YouTube uh, at RamNintendo, which is also where you can find us on Twitter, at Ram Nintendo. Um Individually, I'm on Twitter at JSR7. Kevin's on Twitter at KVNGOMI. Angel's sort of on Twitter at W-E-I-R-O underscore O, which is Wero. But if you want to see his thoughts and things, he now combines them with art and puts them on an Instagram, which is worldofwero, no second O, no underscore, just W-E-R-O, after world of. Is that the right pitch at this point for you? <laughs> yeah, that sounded
1: great. Uh, Perfect.
0: Uh, yeah, I need to spell it out backwards because, you know, make it international. People that read right to left and left to right can now understand. So, um, yes, yeah, so I think that just about does on my side. Uh, I'm going to let you guys fight to the death for the final word. So I toss it to both of you.
2: Uh, congratulations, yeah. Angel. You win the final word. Yay. <laughs> oh, thank
0: you. I
1: would like to thank Elvis.